Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. We as children, we get to enjoy the fruit of our parents' labor, right? And, uh, you know, my children are blessed because God has blessed me, and I'm blessed because my parents worked hard for whatever it is that they had that, that was able to send me on a one-way ticket to America when I was 17. So praise the Lord. Um, so I just want to thank you for, for sending us. There is an authority when you're sent. And uh, we can really just kind of sit back and just thank God that when we go, when someone says, who sent you? Why are you here? We can say, well, RCC sent us. That the church in America sent us. So we want to get away from the verbiage of releasing, although that is biblical. We do release things into, into people, into the atmosphere when we preach, when we pray. But this is a house of sending. There's a difference. And there's an authority when we send. send. You know, volume doesn't mean authority. Just because I can shout doesn't mean that I have an authority. I have an authority because Jesus sent me and he sends me by way of the church. Amen? Now, there are exceptions. Some people... Just have to go because they're in a church that is, lack of a better word, become whitewashed tombs, twice dead or just dead. We know that in scripture talks about that. I'm very hesitant to call a church dead because I don't know who in those churches are, are, are alive. But we know that certain denominations in America and England are just dead, right? Some things have to truly die in order for some things to live, right? And so when we went over there with the authority God sent us, um, it was great because we got to set people in place. We got to set ministries in place. We got to set prophets and teachers in place. And uh, I've never done that before. I've never actually laid hands on people and, and set them in their position. But after you guys laid hands on me, I felt the authority to go ahead and do that. Amen. And there's one creaky board right under my feet. <laughs> I have to stand like this. All right. So before I get going with the word, just want to give a few shout outs again. Thank you for, for all that you're doing for, for myself and for my family. Um, this is good seed to sow into. Amen. I can't say that about everywhere I go, but this is good seed. This week, I had a great conversation with uh, my friend in, in uh, Nigeria who was heading up our ministry in Nigeria. And uh, I was saying, hey, I want to go back to this one church where the worship leader, she could just flow. And, and he said, yeah, we're not working with them anymore. I said, well, what's the reason? said that they weren't honest with finances. And it's so good to find people that can be honest with finances, especially in the mission field. Because some people in some countries will sell their firstborn son for, for a little bit of money. It's terrible what people will do and sacrifice with their own calling, their own morality in order for a little bit of money. We get that today in today's culture, don't we? Yeah, What we would do just for a little bit of fame, what we would do for a little bit of just notice, the things that we will give up in order to, for people to say, you know, well done. When really what I want to hear is from my father say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy, the rest of the Lord. Amen. So before I start, thank you very much. I just want to give a quick shout out. I've got my children in the back. This is uh, the first, well, two of my kids. My daughter Grace is at home. Um, uh, this is their first week back at school. Elijah, in a month's time, he turns 20. So... And in a month's time, Jack turns 18. September's a very expensive month in my household. And uh, Jack is an honor roll student in uh, Dr. Phillips High. And we, we drive him every day. We've been doing it for years. Same with Elijah. 
and, uh, and praise God, Elijah's very gifted in uh, TV and video editing and production and direction. So if any people out there want to make t- uh, uh, videos and you're, you, you're a singer, a songwriter, he's the guy to go see. Amen. Um, and then also I've got friends here with me. So hi guys, I'm going to get into the word in just one second. I want to give a shout out to Alison, who's at home watching. Everyone say hi, Alison. If she was here, she'd be redder than I am. I'm so white that I'm translucent. My cheeks are red because you're seeing the blood behind my face. And uh, of course, I want to give honor to my friends here. And so to the Lindas over here. So we've got Linda Highball, we've got Janet Lappin, who are mainstays and prayer warriors in Central Florida for my entire life. And so we give you honor. And of course, to Linda Watson. So Linda was my pastor when I was younger, when I grew up. She and her family discipled me. And uh, when I was in England for 11 years, from 2006 to 2017, her and her husband, Jim, were my pastors. And when I come to America, they allow me to share their pulpit and preach. And when I would travel, they would always support. And uh, so I want to give you guys honor, the Lindas and Janet. Praise God. And Prophet Suzanne and Brian here. So my friends who, my dear friends, close friends. Amen. Right. Let's get into the word. Pastor George asked me to bring an encouraging word. (laughs) We'll have you crying by the end of the service. God, forgive me. I'm not in any hurry, but we do have to be done by a certain time. So I'm not in any hurry. Today I really wanted to preach a message about losing your life. Well... So encouraging. Today you're going to know how to die. Glory, glory. And uh, I mean, I can tell that my life over the span of my, my 32 years on the earth, just kidding, my, my 40-something years on the earth has been a, a series of great highs and great lows. And some of the lows aren't always there because uh, I necessarily made mistakes. Sure, we all make mistakes, we all mess up. Um, But they were there because God will take you through things. I believe there's a difference between those who are called and those who are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. I believe that the chosen are the ones that God looks into the future, looks into your destiny, and says, this person, will I can break that person, and they'll remain faithful. But we have a choice in whether or not we are the chosen or whether we are just the called. I could have easily given up and just say, you know, this is tough. I'm going back into the world. This is tough. I'm just going to be a nominal Christian and sit, on the, sit in the pews. Nothing wrong with that if that's what God's called you to. But for me, I couldn't do it. Right? It's difficult to transition from being a pastor, being a leader, to then sitting in the pews and, and being faithful and serving God. And God's moving and you're in the foreign mission field and fields are filled with people hungry for God. And then God just takes it all away in a moment. And I say, God, I think the enemy is in there, but God allows it, right? We have these great highs, and we think, God, we thank you that you're moving. You think you've arrived. Then all of a sudden says, son, you ain't arrived yet. You'll never arrive. The only thing that will arrive is Christ in you, right? So that way the world can see Jesus in you and through you. So when we pray, when we're in our 20s and we come to our conferences and we worship, and we're like, Jesus, take it all, take it all, take it all. 
If you really mean it, He'll take it all. I remember being in a conference in, in our church in Oakland, Antioch Worship Center, which was a five-fold ministry apostolic church. And um, uh, I remember being in a conference and leaving there. And I was driving down Highway 50 through Winter Garden. And I was like, Lord, I surrender it all. And I remember driving after that thinking, wow, I surrendered everything. Thank you, Jesus. I hadn't even started living yet, let alone dying yet. And I think the, I think the sacrifice or the, the, the sanctified sacrifice laid down life is the greatest life that we can live. Because apart from Jesus, there is no true life. I've lived a life without Jesus. I've lived a life of kind of compromise. And I tell you that the life without the fullness of who he is in our lives is not a life that I want to live. The life that I want to live is one that's totally sold out for Jesus to the day I die or he comes back. Amen. You know, that God can give us dreams and visions and we can have these intense moments of worship. By the way, you guys are incredibly anointed at worship. Oh my goodness. You're done good. <laughs> Building great teams. Actually, I had an encounter in here a couple of years ago and uh, during worship. And I, I can't say I was caught up to the third heaven. I don't want to get super spiritual because people that talk that way, sometimes they use it as a way to lord it over us to think we're super good and high and mighty and anointed and gifted and you all aren't, but you all are. First John 2.20 says, You have an anointing from the Holy One. You're anointed. Amen. So I was here and I had this encounter where I felt like God had just caught me up and just, just, oh my goodness. And it set me up for what was about to happen in my life for the next couple of years, which wasn't, which wasn't a great time for me. Now I'm going somewhere. This is not all doom and gloom. I just believe that, that God is calling some of us to live this life where we're a, we can die to ourselves. Remember, before the resurrection life came, Jesus had to die. Before fullness of life and purpose and destiny and a hope and a future is revealed in your life, we must learn to die. And death isn't graceful, even though we can die gracefully. Death is smelly, it's dirty, it's stinky, it's painful. But if we allow God to take us through the process, we'll come out on the other side beaming and shining like the sun. Amen. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter to the noonday. Not dimmer and dimmer. Our path is meant to grow stronger and stronger and brighter and brighter no matter what we go through, no matter what we put ourselves through, no matter what other people put us through, that if we remain faithful to God, there's a crown at the end. Amen. And not just at the end when we die, but in this life. I believe that in this time, what you're going to see in this church, when you are uh, being trained for ministry and for leadership, that the Lord is going to send you out from this place. This is not the only remnant Christian center that's going to be birthed and sent out. right? It's important that we train and make disciples. We get a hold of Mark 16, 15 through 20. It says, preach the gospel to all creatures, to every nation, preach the gospel. We get a hold of that, but we have yet to get a hold of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right? which says, make disciples of all nations. Right? We're good at collecting people and gathering people into the house of the Lord. We've not been so good at sending people into what we're called to do for the rest of our lives. So many people get bored and then before long, what do they do? They stay home. They find other things that makes them not bored. Because you can only be bored for so long before you find something that will fulfill your need. Obviously, Jesus is our need. But if we don't send people out and train them and do what God's called them to do, they will stop coming. 
We're not called to gather. We're called to train and equip and send. Amen. But the ones that God will really use are the ones that are surrendered to his way of life. That we will remain faithful no matter what happens. No matter who gets sick, no matter who betrays us or stabs us in the back, no matter who dies, because people die and people get sick, no matter what happens. Our life is 70, 80, in my case, 120 years on this earth. But then comes eternity. We have a small window. And then comes eternity. Isn't it better that we would suffer in this life but have eternity with Jesus? Now... Life isn't all about suffering, but it does happen, right? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Before I do that, quick testimony. We're in England I'm preaching. I have a ministry called Ignite Global Missions. Our headquarters is here in, uh, in America. And um, that's kind of the covering. You guys cover this ministry, which is amazing. Uh, we planted Ignite Church UK on the south of England, an apostolic hub. And out of that, we planted three smaller churches. Ignite Church Gosport, Ignite Church Leon the Solent, Ignite Church Poolsgrove. And we have our apostolic fivefold ministry hub. And we set uh, fivefold ministers in the place, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We set in local elders all in five weeks. If we can do that in five weeks, think of what this church can do in five months and five years, Right? We're going to turn this world upside down. Amen. Amen. You know, and when I was younger, in my 20s, I remember hearing prophecies, your generation's going to see revival. You're going to see revival. You're going to see revival. And we didn't see revival. Not the way that we thought. Right? Am I right? I don't want to preach to the next generation that you're going to see revival. I want to preach to the now generation. All of us. The young. The, the, the old. The in-betweens. That we will see a move of God in our lifetime because we need one another. We need the wisdom of those who are older. You know, this isn't to put anybody down, but for 20 year olds, uh, 20 year old worship leaders trying to tell me about theology and doctrine and suffering and then life after death and marriage and all this stuff, you know, it's hard for me to really glean from these people. They haven't experienced life yet. I know when I was younger, I didn't. I didn't listen to those people. I thought, what do you know? Where's your fire? Well, when you're 45, 50, 60 years old and your joints don't quite flex the way they did when you were 20, you may not all want to be running around the church and jumping up and down. The fire isn't about the outward expression. It's the inward unction of the Holy Spirit. The fire of God will always burn for those who are surrendered to the Lord. And the fire of God never needs to go out. It can burn stronger and stronger, brighter and brighter. It's stronger in my life than when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 19 years old. Amen. And so we did some great things in the UK. People got healed, delivered, set free. We had a vacation at the same time, but it was tough work for five weeks. We had lots of driving all over the south of England. God provided financially. Thank you, church, for providing that financially. For some of that, it was amazing. And we're going to see that happen again and again. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. The gospel is a bloody gospel. It's where God beckons us, because he beckoned Jesus to come forward and die. It is a place where if we surrender Everything that we want to do, 
every dream, every hope, and we lay it in his hands. He will take it, cleanse it, sharpen it, and he will put us on the right path that God's got for us. So much better than we ever thought or imagined, right? So imagine that you've got a plan for your life, and you think it's going to go a certain way, but you truly surrender to the Lord, and he takes it away from you, or you lose it. Sometimes we have to lose what we've got in order to gain what he wants for us. You know, when God gives you a gift, so the, the fivefold ministry are gifts, they're not offices. They're not imposed, they're given. So if you've got the office, or, or well, I'll just kind of backtrack on that, but if you've got the gift of the apostle, they're meant to be received, right? And with any type of gift, a spiritual gift, that how can you receive something if your hands are full? How can you receive anything if you think you're hoarding everything that you think you've got? I'm hoarding all the financing. I'm hoarding all the future. I'm hoarding uh, my, my fears of letting go. But if you just let go, you can receive what God's got for you more fully. Amen? And how do we receive? Like this. In worship, in praise with our arms wide open, right? I mean, Scripture tells us to raise your hands in the sanctuary. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Raise your hands in the sanctuary. Learn to worship like this. I don't care how cool you think you are. Cast out the spirit of cool. Let go and let God. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Here's what Jesus says. It says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Ouch. Who knew when you got saved, when we came to know the Prince of Peace, that all hell would break loose? How many of you in this place, when you gave your life to Jesus, your family turned against you? I come from a culture where, where well, many of you might be from Catholic backgrounds. I know we have a, a high Spanish, Hispanic, and, and Latino uh, uh, group here, so we know that. If you come from a strong Catholic background and you get born again, they don't particularly like that, right? Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Especially the priest. I, I had a priest in England actually say to me one time, he was, st- he was still upset about the, uh, the Reformation in the 1400s. I'm like, dude, let it go. <laughs> it's like 500 years ago. <laughs> I know that when I got saved... My family kind of disowned me for a while. God restored a lot of that. You know, my mum ended up getting saved. My dad ended up giving his life to Jesus, although he has a, a bit of a, a small, immature uh, faith in Christ. But my mum got soundly saved a year before she passed away. And then God has worked on the rest of my family. Not only was I called a cult member, but I was called a cult leader. <laughs> I thought, how the heck am I supposed to be a cult leader? Like, I'm 19 years old when I got saved. I'm like, who is following me? I'm not rich. I'm not making money. Sometimes I wish I was a cult leader. I'd be loaded. But I wasn't. So my family turned against me, and I thought, well, God, how the heck am I supposed to be, be, be living in this, this life, and how am I supposed to have peace? Jesus, you're the Prince of Peace. But then I remember reading about this. It said, a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me, is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. We're not just losing our life just for any, any sake, but for Christ's sake. 
You ever heard in England, they use the Lord's name a lot when they swear. One of the things they say, oh, for Christ's sake. This is what it's talking about. They don't like it. It's when we lose something. And God is calling us to lose our life that we may truly find it. Amen. So when all hell breaks loose, when you give your life to Jesus, when you serve him and you seek after him, when people say to you, curse God and die. I actually had someone say that to me once. I think, man, that's proper biblical stuff. When they say this, when they don't want to be your friend, when they persecute you and talk about you, when they spit at you, when you're street preaching, evangelizing, and they throw things at you and they want to hit you because you tell them Jesus loves you, tell me there's not a devil. Jesus loves you and then the venom comes out. Oh my goodness. How can venom come out by telling someone that you're loved? It's because it's demonic. Before I ever believed in God, I believed there was a devil. That's how I came to know Jesus. The devil kind of uh, messed up on that one. But Jesus is our peace. He's the inner peace in the midst of the storm. So that when all hell breaks loose against us, when the sword comes against us, he's our inner peace. And we can continue walking with God. Let's turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, 25. I want to encourage you to bring your paper Bibles. I remember when I was younger... And I was in church, and, and uh, the, the, the words were up on top. And, uh, but oftentimes, as he's preaching, I'd open my Bible, then I'd go on my own little tangent. Yeah, I probably want you to listen to what's being said, but I'd rather you get hungry for the Word of God. Amen? So it's important that we come and we bring our Word, and we can make notes in our Bible. My Bible's littered with notes. So Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great multitudes went out with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. So we just read in Matthew chapter 10 that if you don't love less these people, you cannot be his disciple. Here is even stronger wordage saying if you don't hate. Well, hang on a sec. I thought we weren't meant to hate because hate is murder of the heart. Well, it's just a, a, a play on words. Really, it just means love less, but it's a strong language. If you don't love less, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Jesus knows what he had to go through to get us into a relationship with God. He knew his worth. He knew who he was. And without him doing what he did, we could not know God. And this is the price that we pay to know him. This is the price we pay for the anointing. This is the price we pay to walk in power and dominion in the earth. If you're offended... Get over it. You have a right to be offended. We're in America. And I have the right to offend. Amen. Where are we? Verse 27. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. I was just reading the other day in Matthew 13 about the different seed or the different soil that the seed is sown into. The four different types of of soil. Well, three types of soil. One fell upon the the ground. And uh, it's important to know that we know that before we come to Christ or before we set out to do something, we first count the cost. 
when I pray for someone or I preach the gospel, I want to lead them to Christ. Sometimes some of them say I'm not ready. And I, I will say, you know, I respect that because you recognize that you're a sinner. But you know that when you come to Jesus, you're going to have to change. Not because it's behavior modification, but because he changes you. He changes the heart, the conscience. The inner man is changed. You go from death to life. You no longer want to live a life of sin. If you say you're a Christian and you sin without conscience, you're not saved. Because the saved heart will change. Amen. The Spirit of God cannot do the things in us that we want Him to do. If we say, doesn't mean we don't miss the mark. Doesn't mean we don't sin. The Bible says if we say without sin, that we've made Him out to be a liar. We're not lying. He's not a liar. We miss the mark on occasion. But the lifestyle of sin, we can't live that life. Amen? I forgot what I was saying. Yes, count the cost. Amen? Before you set out to do something, those of you who are going into training this week, count the cost. Before you step out fully and say, this one, there's, there is a sacrifice. Do you want the big house? Sometimes it's the big house or the fulfilled life. Sometimes you get to have it all. What is God saying to you? Right? I see daggers coming at me for that. I'm willing to live the American dream. I don't want the American dream. I want the Jesus-centered dream. Amen. Don't hate me for saying that. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. How can he ask us to forsake all? Because he gave us everything anyway. Everything I own, he gave to me. What little I own, he gave to me. The life I have, He gave to me. My salvation, He gave to me. Eternity, He gave to me. Everything that I hold dear to my heart is from Him. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, James said. Amen? Because He gave it to us, He can ask for it back. But not only that, we belong to Him because we belong to Him. He can require anything from us. Are we willing to give it? Are we willing to give our lives for Jesus? I tell you, I, I'm a missionary and a minister to third world countries. I've been in war zones. I've never been shot at, but they tried to kidnap me and behead me. And I've almost had my head cut off once before with a sickle. And, and uh, I've tasted persecution in ways that most Americans never have. And so I can speak on this stuff with an authority. America, we have it easy. So easy. Well, mostly easy. Yeah, you've got to pay out of your butt for health care. But we have it pretty easy. <laughs> All right, that was pretty good. All right. <laughs> I've seen Christians go through tribulation. I've seen my brothers and sisters in other countries die. You know, um, I've seen terrible things happen to these people. And uh, you know, the word tribulation is mentioned 24 times in the New Testament. 
Not once does it say that we will escape it. Not once. And I'm not a big fan of the, the, uh, the, the, the pre-tribulation rapture. I mean, that's a doctrinal stance. I don't, I don't really carry the way uh, what people stance are. We're still brothers and sisters. I'm not a big fan of it because I believe it was brought about in a time when we had great peace in our land. It's hard to preach that we will escape a tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period in Revelation. It's hard to preach that to people that are suffering, that we get to escape it. Well, why do America get to escape it? Why does the West get to escape tribulation and not the rest of the world? Right? We don't. Tribulation means pressure. It means anguish. It means trouble. It means persecution. We've lived for generations without persecution in America. I do believe in my lifetime that we'll see it again. I believe that we saw a precursor to some of it, kind of testing the waters. Who, who of us would, 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 uh, would obey the government, right? There are some times when we have to disobey the government when it goes against the word of God. The government is not my Lord Jesus's. Whether we obey man or God, you be the judge. But we will obey God no matter what. Right? Abortion is murder. Homosexuality is sin. As the Bible says that. Lust is sin. Sex outside of marriage is sin. Lying is sin. Thieving, stealing is sin. The Bible says it. We believe it. We obey it. We live it. It's that simple. We don't make the rules. He makes the rules. And we live in those rules. And we receive the blessings for following those rules. But it's not a rule. I don't wake up in the morning and say, today I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to speak evil of one another. I'm not going to cuss someone out when I'm driving down I-4. I'm not saying these things. I wake up, good morning, Holy Spirit. Lord, let me live for you. Free me from my own desires. Free me from my will. Lord, come and live the Spirit-filled life through me. Because that's the only type of adventure we really want to live. Yeah? I love the voice of God. I remember driving years ago to my friend's wedding in a New Smyrna. New Smyrna's pretty long, the beach, right? And I forgot to uh, look at the actual address and where on the beach it was. I'm driving out there, I'm like, i got no idea where this wedding is. i got no idea what part of the beach it is. And I was praying and I heard the Lord say to me, take a left. And I'm driving, so I take a left. And then I, I'm listening, I hear him, he says, take a right. And I take a right and I'm driving along. And as I get near, near the beach, I see the, uh, uh, the groom, my friends, um, I see his car pull out in front of me. And so I follow it. And I get there and I get there and, and I park. And I'm like, hey, and I quickly run to the beach and I take my place. And uh, I got to get to a wedding for a really long beach. And this is the life that Christians lead. It's just one example of many, 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 many examples. That the life when it's laid down, we get to have an adventure with Jesus. Yeah? Who wants to have an adventure with Jesus? It's a great life. It might be difficult at times, but it's a great life. We'll get to do things that you don't write movies about. You don't write books about. We get to see the things. I think I mentioned this last time, but you get the Pope's Exorcist. You get those movies. We literally get to do that stuff. We literally get to cast out demons. We literally get to see women in overseas countries speaking in a perfect English accent or perfect, uh, uh, in perfect English in a man's voice. We get to see this stuff. We get to see little 16-year-old girls throw grown men off them like they're rag dolls. We get to see this stuff. We do, the Christians. Because the church is the hope for this nation. Christ in us, amen. And Christ crucified is our message. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. Let's go back to Matthew 10. Matthew chapter 10 verse 16. Is this okay? You with me? 
Hopefully you won't stone me, not today anyway. Matthew 10, 16. Matthew 10, 16. It says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them to the Gentiles. How awesome would that be? The laid down life. You lose your life in Christ and he picks you up, us, little old me, and he sets you before governors and kings. How awesome is that? What a testimony to your family and to your friends. That you get to stand before politicians and governors and kings. I've got to do it. It's incredible. We don't walk around boasting about it. I have a friend of mine in England called Sally. I don't know most of the stuff she's got to do. She's a prophetess. We actually commissioned her when we were over there. Actually named her as a prophet. And she's a part of our ministry. And she has this ministry. She doesn't tell us anything. But she's so surrendered to the Lord. Um, and uh, she went to Israel. She goes to Israel quite a lot. She has a ministry where she ministers supposedly uh, to the Muslims and to the Jews. But to the high up people. She was once in a room praying. And the Lord said, get up, walk through the door. I'm going to take you somewhere. She got up. She walked out the door. And she all of a sudden was in the Muslim quarters where women were not allowed to be. She walked into another door. And then she walked through the door into the, the main imam over all of Jerusalem. And he's like, what are you doing here? She said, Jesus sent me. And she gets to sit down with him and share the gospel. She walks out the door. Next thing she walks out of her door. It's like Narnia. She walks out the door and then, and then she walks back into her bedroom. This is the spirit-filled life. I had an, uh, uh, an encounter once. I was sitting in my home in Winter Garden some years ago. And I just was praying. I wasn't even praying much. I was just praying a bit and I sat on my bed. And as I sat on my bed, God took me. And I stood in my, in my, uh, my hometown, Leon the Sonnet in England, in the, in the school that I used to go to. And as I'm standing there, it was nighttime in England. I was standing there and uh, it was like I was actually there. I can't even say I was really there. I don't want to you know, presume, but it felt like, I mean, I was there. And as I'm there watching, I see these three figures walk in front of me. And each one walks and the Lord spoke to me and said, that's witchcraft. And I knew what it was and I, I, all of a sudden I'm back to where I was. I don't believe in astral projection, none of that stuff. But God took me. And he showed me something. And I remember as a child walking down that street, I always felt scared of walking down this one street because I felt there was a bad presence there. So when I moved back to England in 2006, I remember that, that encounter I had with God. And I went down there and we prayed and we broke that thing. Amen. And uh, we prayed against spirit of witchcraft. And, and the week we broke it, my children's ex-head teacher, uh, um, principal, who resisted the gospel, she quit. And she wasn't of quitting age. She was way too young to quit. She was the one that resisted us coming into the school because we were allowed to go in schools in England to share the gospel. And so I would go into the school every week to share the gospel to 300 young children. But her school, I wasn't allowed to. As soon as we broke that thing, the doors opened up. So when you live a spirit-led, laid-down life, you get to do things that no one else would ever believe about. And we don't tell many people about this because they simply won't believe. I mean, I don't tell every encounter I have, every dream I have, every time I hear the voice of God. I don't, get to, I don't tell these every single time because it's quite a common occurrence. When you give up your life for Jesus, you live the adventure that he's called you to. Amen. And I, for one, want to live an adventure. Amen. Right, where was I? We're almost done here. 
So this is a good encouraging word on what I'm about to read to you. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. But it is not, for you, it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Amen? That's a good word right there. Now brother will deliver up brother to death and the father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. All you've got to do is look at communists in, in the 20th century. That they forced the children would give up their parents to communism. That's how they get us. They go after our children. They indoctrinate our children. They get a hold of them. And then our children become our persecutors. And in these days, some of our greatest persecutors will be those who we once walked in church with. Those who once named the name of Jesus will be some of our greatest persecutors. When they give up Christ for the sake of the world. Right? If you ever you want to you see, is that true? You should read Tortured for Christ by Richard, Richard Wormbrand. He tells the horrible stories of what communism did. And we want our country to go to socialism and communism. Communism and socialism is wicked. It's evil. It killed 100 million people in the 20th century. It will never, ever work. It's the enemy. I'm not, I'm not saying that capitalism is perfect, but it's sure better than socialism and communism. Amen. Remember, Nazism was socialism. We forget about that, don't we? Anyway, just a side note. Verse 22. I love this verse. I really do love this verse. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Amen. Church, endure. When persecution comes, endure. When your family hates you and you don't know why, endure. When those around you start falling away and they want you to join in what they're doing, don't give in. It's better that you lose everything you've ever built but remain faithful to Christ than deny Jesus. Amen? Thank you. Verse 26. Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whoever, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light and whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Amen. Therefore, Whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. We can deny Christ in many ways. The first way we deny him is by our lifestyle. And if we allow that sin to take root, death kicks in and then we deny him by our words. Scripture calls it twice dead. Actually, Hebrew says... That for those who have tasted of the heavenly good and have been illuminated, if they fall away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. That's a tough word. The fear of the Lord is what's missing in our land today. If we feared God, we wouldn't want to walk away. The fear of the Lord keeps us close to Jesus. Amen? I mean, yes, the love of God makes me not want to fall away, but it's the fear of God that makes sure that I don't walk away. It's like your spouse. You can love your spouse. I've known many spouses that loved one another, but one of them could still cheat. Love wasn't enough to stop him from cheating. I mean, it should be. But the fear 
wasn't there. The fear of losing the respect of their children. The fear of, of losing the respect of the community, of the church, it wasn't there. They didn't fear the consequence of what would happen if they cheated. We need the fear of the Lord because it keeps us close to Jesus. And it gives us wisdom and understanding. Amen? Amen. Almost done. The spirit-filled life, the lost life to self and alive in Christ, you can't deny Jesus no matter what. If someone was to stand there with a gun to your head and say, deny Christ, no. Easier said than done. And it's scary when you think that you don't know whether a band, bunch of bandits on the mission field are going to come around the corner and put a hood over your head and kidnap you and your children are never going to see you again. That is fearful. It's true. It really happens. But Jesus, keep us. Keep me safe. And if you don't keep me safe in your will, if we are sent and we know God has sent us and anything bad happens to us, we have nothing to fear. It's when we are went ones, not sent ones, that, that, that then we don't have the assurance that what's happening to us is the will of God. Because Christians die for their faith. Are they out of the will of God when they die? No. I mean, some might be if they go when God hasn't said to go. Some people believe the Apostle Paul died before his time. Because he ignored the prophetic word. I'll let you figure that out yourself. Let's um, go to Romans 5. I'm going to close. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. <laughs> As we wrap up, you'll be encouraged. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope and the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. What's, what's tribulations here for? To bring hope. Perseverance. We're a church. We're a living, breathing organism. If you want to be strong in body, you've got to lift some weights. You've got to get some exercise. The same for us. We've got to exercise our spiritual gifts. We've got to exercise what God has called us to do and be in one of those ways as we face tribulation. And when we have tribulation, it creates perseverance. Amen? And perseverance, character. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Christ in the life of the believer. Amen? You want the character of Jesus? You want the fruit of the Spirit? Persevere. Press in. Don't give up. When the world comes against you, don't give up. When you want to give up, don't give up. Breakthrough is just on the other side of giving up. Sadly, though, we don't know when that point is. You want your healing? Don't give up. You want to be free from doubt and, and depression and anxiety? Don't give up. Keep pressing into the Lord. Actually, I mean, personally, I, I believe the cure for anxiety and depression is worship and, and praise. Why, why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. You're trusting God. I remember the story of Smith Wigglesworth, and he was in his 80s. They said to him, why are you still so fit? How are you still so happy and healthy? He said, it's easy. I get up in the morning, I do a, I do a 15-minute um, a, a praise dance, is what I think he called it. He gets up and dances around his room. It's the cure for a lot of what we're going through. Because praise 
unlocks the presence of God in a way that worship doesn't. And I do believe that God wants to restore back to us the art of praise, not just worship. He wants to restore back to us the ability to dance and sing and shout and rejoice. Amen. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Just a desire to be godly, you'll be persecuted. God has found many, many ways for us to lose our lives. And some of us, we hold on for dear life to not lose it. Amen. So what does it mean to lose your life? Good question, Steve. I'm still figuring that one out. Matthew 10, 39, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. I do recognize that not every person is called as an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Not everyone is called to minister. Not everyone is called as an elder. Not everyone is called as a preacher. But what has God called you to and for? That is that which you are to give your life to and for. If it's a parent, give your life to it. But through Christ, as a teacher in the schools, Give yourself to it, but in Christ. Amen. Surrender your life to Jesus. Whatever He wants to do in and through you, that He will be glorified and magnified. So what does it mean to lose your life? I had that question. Luke 22 has the answer. Luke chapter 22. Jesus gave it well. Luke 22, 42. And this should be your prayer. If you're driving down the street after a nice crusade and you think you've laid it all down and then God asks you to give up something that you hold near and dear to your heart that He knows is not helpful to you but harmful even though you think it's good. And God says, lay your life down. Lay your will down. He says, I want you to lose your life. And you say, Lord, I don't know how. I don't know what it is I'm doing. I don't know how to give up the things that you're calling me to give up. Luke 22, 42, Jesus says this. This is after Jesus, he went to the prayer in the garden on the Mount of Olives, the garden of Gethsemane, actually the Mount of Olives. Verse 40, when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then Jesus, verse 41, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me people that's our prayer God if it's your will I don't want to suffer I don't want to go through this feeling I don't want to lose family members I don't want to lose friends I don't want to give up this job which I love I don't want to give up this girlfriend this boyfriend this person that I love so much I don't want to give them up but but it's taking me away from who you are and your purpose for my life Jesus if you are willing take this cup away from me but nevertheless not my will but your will be done in Jesus name not my will but your will be done Lord it might hurt you might not like it but it's the only life the Christian is called to live 
the world looks at us in derision. They mock us because of our compromise. They don't mock us because of our holiness. They know those who belong to Jesus. I had a friend of mine in England once. He wasn't a Christian. And I took him out for a drive and I was preaching to him. And, and all of his friends were believers from our church. And I said, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? He said, no, I'm not. But I can tell you one thing, Stephen. I know that your Jesus is real. Because when I'm out with my other Christians, we're all vaping, we're smoking, we're smoking weed, we're drinking and getting drunk. But you don't live that life. He said, I know Jesus is real with you. And when I'm ready, I'll give, him, I'll give my life to him. Is your Jesus real? Because we have churches across this nation and we have individuals across this nation They made a God in their own image. And and the church, God is calling the church to really just to man up. Right? To not bow to the culture in which we live. We don't play those games anymore. We can stand upon the truth. If someone is prophesying falsely or teaching falsely, we can call them out. We may not do it by name publicly, but we'll speak we'll speak to them. When they're saying that this is what God thinks, we have people that don't even believe Jesus telling us how to believe. That's not the life to live. He knows what is best for us. Trust him with your life. He knows the end from the beginning, so why fear? What is stopping you from pursuing Him and living the spirit of their life? Is it a relationship or a boyfriend or girlfriend? Is that an offense? The lost life in Christ cannot be offended. We cannot live an offense. Offense is the root of bitterness, and bitterness is the is the forerunner to deception you want to be free from deception don't get offended if someone hurts you forgive them if Christ could forgive your many 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 sins where you deserve hell and judgment if God can forgive you forgive the person that stabbed you in the back forgive the person because you don't know what they're going through you don't know the motive of their heart when we say God says judge not well we're not meant to judge people's motives we don't know why they say what they say. Yeah, we can judge their actions, but we don't know why they say the things they say. Forgive them and move on. Was Jesus offended when our sin was laid on him? So why do we get so easily offended? The lost life forgives those who hurt us. It prays for those who hurt us. The lost life loves and serves without thought of reward. The lost life obeys no matter the cost. No matter the cost. The greatest cost, the greatest price that was ever paid was Jesus on the cross. No matter the cost, no matter the price, He paid it for us to buy us back from our slavery, which is sin. He redeemed us and paid the price. How awesome would it be? And look at where Jesus is at now. 
He's seated at the right hand of the Father. We can be seated in heavenly places too if we will surrender our lives and live the life He's called us to live. Amen. It's not without pain. It's not without suffering. But in the suffering, in the pain, His presence is sweeter. It's greater. The anointing is deeper. So today I want to ask you, will you lay down your life and live the lost life in order to truly live for Jesus? That we would pick up our life. It's new. It's been cleansed. It's been redeemed. He scrapes off all the junk. He picks us up. And He puts us on our way. I'd rather be poor and in His will than rich and outside of it. And I know that I am most myself when I'm in the center of His will. So the lost life will have His presence and His power. Because the lost life is the found life. Amen. Can we just stand up? Just to shake us off a little bit. Let's just close our eyes. Let's just wait upon the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that when we give up our pain, you bring peace. When we give up our search for fame, you give us your promises. When we give up our sin, you bring restoration. When we give up our doubts and our fears, you bring faith. Thank you, Father. I pray over the church today in Jesus' name. I pray today the church, for those who are watching online, for those who are here, that we would all lay down our life, Lord. And that we would all pray, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That we would do great exploits for you in your name. That we would prosper in Christ. That we would have your peace and we'd have your joy. In Jesus' name. We thank you, Jesus, that you lost your life. But you are resurrected in glory. I thank you that we will lose our life for you. That we may truly live in the same place which you currently live, Lord. God, we say surrender, Lord. We surrender our lives. We surrender our hearts. We surrender our wills. We surrender our destinies, our hopes, our futures, God. God, we die to even the things that you spoke over us, that we cling to, God. Even though we speak them in faith, Lord, we lay down our lives, that you would be fully alive in us, Lord. We don't know our end from our beginning, Lord. thank you that you hold every part of our being in the name of Jesus thank you Lord let's just raise our hands everyone every man every woman thank you for tuning in for more information about us please visit remnantchristiancenter.com